0: Health 101 is produced by the physicians of the Metro Omaha Medical Society, and we'd like to thank Children's Hospital and Medical Center for their support of this podcast. Welcome everyone to Health 101 with the Metro Omaha Medical Society. We have two amazing doctors here, and we are talking about skin. It is the largest organ of our body, and it is the source of angst if you're a teenager with acne. It is the source of a lot of spending to try to make that skin look great at all facets of your life, and it is also increasingly a concern for people with skin cancer, and we're going to tackle all of that. But let me first introduce you to our guests today, and that is Dr. Chris Herder and Dr. Ashley Weisong, Both are dermatologists. Thank you guys so much for being here today. So I started with what I think we should do is a quick true-false. So I'm going to start with each of you, and I'm going to start about what's true and false about skin. Chris, what you eat can cause breakouts. True. Really? Oh, dang. (laughs) Ashley, eczema is just really dry skin. False. Really?
1: It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's how it tends to be um, for a patient. That's what they're experiencing. Um, But really, we know it's a little bit more complex and it's down to the structure, the very level of the structure of the skin and how it's able to hold on to moisture.
0: I'm going to have to go back to the breakouts thing. What is it? Is it an oil thing? Is it a chocolate thing? What are we talking about? Uh,
2: when people ask me about acne, I use this line over and over. I think it's a function of hormones and heredity. The hormonal changes are normal for all people, and the hormones that can create acne all people have. Men, women, children. There are two different factors. The hormones can go up abnormally. Or a person could be abnormally sensitive to the effects of the hormone, and that's where the hereditary component comes in. I'm
0: telling you, you can't beat those gene pools. Okay. Okay, Chris, next
2: is yours. Rashes are contagious. Um, A small percentage of rashes are contagious. Most rashes are not contagious. It's a small percentage. Mm
0: -hmm. Ashley, let's ask about uh, warts. Mm -hmm. Are they contagious?
1: Yes. Warts are contagious. Um, they're actually caused by the HPV or human papilloma virus. Um, but what we know is, uh, similar to what Chris was saying, there is always a hereditary predisposition. And when it comes to warts, there are some people that are just more prone to getting them than others. And we don't exactly understand why. So we know that the HPV vi- virus is really everywhere. And so even within a family, some kiddos may get warts and some may not. And we Absolutely. don't always know why. Um, but it is caused by the HPV virus in can be spread. So if there's a wart on the finger and you pick it, you can get it onto the other finger. Um, but sometimes, like I mentioned, kids even in the same household may be playing with each other all the time and brother or sister may not get the wart. Um, so it's really that underlying genetic predisposition as well. And it's um, so it is a contagious form of a skin condition.
0: I'm telling you. Okay, Chris, darker skin tones tend to be less vulnerable um, to skin cancer.
2: I think that in a general sense, that's true. Uh, The more fair you are, the less protection you have from sun. And the most common forms of skin cancer are predominantly caused by sun exposure. And so if you don't have that protection in the form of melanin, which is a tan, you become more at risk.
0: And tanning beds, Ashley, are less dangerous than sun rays. Interesting.
1: Less True. dangerous than sun rays. That would be false. Um, actually, we know that uh, ultraviolet in general, ultraviolet light, both UVA and UVB are known to cause various forms of skin cancer. Um, and UVA and UVB are given out by the natural sun rays, um, but also by ultraviolet uh artificial ultraviolet radiation like tanning beds. Uh, And so typically those tend to actually be giving out a higher actual dose of ultraviolet radiation than in what you would typically get out in the sun.
0: Which then leads us to the discussion that I think we hear in popular discussion that you basically should wear sunscreen all the time, whether you get in a car and commute 10 minutes to your office and stay in an office all day, or whether you go outside and play at the beach. You should always slather sunscreen. But now everyone is asking the question about safe sunscreens and chemicals because there's a lot of questions about what's absorbing into the skin. Is it cancer causing in itself? Chris, can you talk about why everyone's concerned and what we should be concerned about? And even for the environment, too, there's a factor, isn't
2: there? There there is indeed. This is a really hot topic right Mm -hmm. now. It's all over mainstream media. Uh, And the issues are chemical sunscreens versus mineral sunscreens. So chemical sunscreens, there's two factors that I would say. They've determined that they can bleach uh, coral reefs. And so there's an environmental thing and they've been outlawed in Australia. And I think Key West, Florida already has legislation for that. So if it's damaging the environment, obviously that's a concern. The other thing that's going on right now is these chemical sunscreens, they're starting to take a look at them and they're determining when people have the sunscreen's on for not even that long a period of time. They're able to detect some of the chemicals in the bloodstream. So the big uh, question now is, what does that mean? I don't think we really know. There's some preliminary stuff on, maybe it's affecting your thyroid function and some other things. I think it's it's wide open right now, mm-hmm. but if you just look at the environmental factor alone, and I, I don't, I, Ashley, you probably agree with me. I'm, startin', I'm starting to steer my patients more towards the mineral sunscreens. Mm-hmm. Mineral sunscreens, the two minerals, the elements that we're talking about, the compounds are titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. And the majority of sunscreens do not have them as the, as the only ingredient. And what I tell patients is if you want to find these sunscreens, Google it. Google Mm -hmm. Mineral sunscreen, Google titanium dioxide, sunscreen, and options come up. And also, if you go to a place like a Target or someplace, flip it over and look at them. The ones that are marketed for infants and small children a lot of times have that in it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'd love to add to this too. I completely agree with Dr. Herder, And I think in general, when it comes to ultraviolet radiation, there's no such thing as a safe tan. And so the very beginning of your question, you were talking about, you know, do we need to be using sunscreen? Absolutely. I think, um, in general, we recommend as board certified dermatologists that patients remain sun safe. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy all the things you like to do and go to the lake and, exactly. you know, enjoy your baseball game of your sons. You know, I think we all want you to be out there enjoying the outdoors, but we can do it in a sun safe way. And so sunscreens are one way. Um, but we also recommend, you know, ultraviolet protective clothing. And so in addition to looking for SPF that you can rub on your skin, now every major clothing manufacturer makes UPF or ultraviolet Protective factor rated clothing. And so I really encourage my patients to wear that as well. Um, In addition to what Dr. Herter was saying about um, sunscreens, you know, I I think we've got to do more and more um, and and do some more research. Um, So what the Common, what the media is really latching on to is um, a single study that was recently put out by the FDA in JAMA Dermatology. That's the Journal of the American Medical Association. And they actually looked at um, 15 patients, and they had them apply a very large amount of these chemical sunscreens to the body four times a day, much more than the average person would use. Um, and then they measured the level of the chemicals within the blood. And really the FDA has, a, has kind of a, a borderline number that if you if, – anything you put on the skin is going to be absorbed into the blood at some at some level and what we don't understand and what we need further studies on is just because it's absorbed in the body what does that really mean long term um, really I've, I have a whole lecture that I give about debunking myths mm-hmm. around sunscreens because there are, there are a lot of myths out there about these chemical blockers um, ch- causing hormonal effects causing thyroid effects a lot of those studies were done in rats and not really in humans and so we have a lot more to do but I would absolutely agree with Dr. Herter um, I think we're all shifting toward um, discussing the, if there are any concerns by patients using the zinc and titanium products. Um, in general, those tend to be blockers. They sit on this top level of the, of the skin. If they're not micronized, they really are not absorbed into the body. And so they are in that case, quote, safer. Um, but I think in general, as board certified dermatologists, we still feel like um, chemical suns- sunscreens are safe. All of, our natu- all of our national guidelines
0: are suggesting they're still safe, but we do have further work to do. Well, I think the other place we seem to have problems with is quantity and reapplication. I mean, if you're wearing the clothing, you know, like if I'm wearing a shirt and pants, that's Mm -hmm. just supposed to do it. But then, you know, how much I put on my face and my arms, you know, my lotion is teeny tiny. And sometimes I've heard people say a shot glass is your entire body. And I think that seems like an awful lot. Like,
2: (laughs) I I think that the vast majority of people do not put enough sunscreen on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to quantitate it. And as dermatologists, we're talking about grams mm-hmm. of this and that. It doesn't translate to the general population. I love the protective clothing. I push it like crazy. And one other caveat are swim shirts. Mm-hmm. If you go to a little community pool now, you see a ton of these little squirts running around with these T-shirts. <laughs> and kids are getting to the point where when the mom says this is what we do, it's like seatbelts. They do it their whole life, right? So I really push that. I push it for adults too. That way, you go to the beach, you you go to a lake, you put your shirt on, you wear it all day, and at the end of the day, you rinse it off and you take it off, and you're done. And it really decreases the amount of sunscreen you have to put on. Mm-hmm. When you have to put it on your whole body and you're boating or mm-hmm. whatever, look, it just it rarely is done the correct way, and they don't get the adequate protection. And, well, and you come don't in reapply and, either. I mean, well, I don't recall and, that
0: I ever, st- I stick it on the front end and go, okay, I'm good, right?
2: <laughs> patients come in and say sunscreen doesn't work. Yeah, it does too. Yeah, it works.
0: <laughs> it works, but you've got to apply
1: the right amount and you've got to reapply yep. often. And so what we typically recommend in our offices is reapplying every two hours Or more frequently, if you're sweating a lot or in the water. And so the reality is most patients just don't do that. I mean, I don't think any of us in this room (laughs) could even honestly say that we probably do that, which is where that, that, you know, ultraviolet protective factor clothing can really make a big difference. Completely
2: agree.
0: Oh, my goodness. And then I I think there's an area that I'm trying to figure out because I feel like we have a lot of discussion point is um, we know that your everybody needs a certain amount of vitamin D and when i hear people who are opponents proponents of anything they talk about this vitamin D factor and that the sun is a source of vitamin D and then if we live in a northern climate we get less sun so that you know some doctors say take a supplement in the winter because you're not getting enough vitamin D naturally because of environmental play that against sun protection, against, you know, where, where does that fit in? Because I don't feel like I know, and either
2: of you, you know, feel free to weigh in. I, I think vitamin D is important. I, I I think the science is irrefutable that it's, it's a benefit. The way that I deal with this is I take vitamin D and that's what I advocate for my patients. The, the flip side of it is just a little bit of sun can shoot it up. And so, you have to balance this, and this is where dermatologists kind of diverge. Mm-hmm. I think if you're, too, you know, if you're too heavy with people on sun, they're going to tune you out. Mm-hmm. And I think in this six months a year in Omaha, Nebraska, the amount of sun you get getting out of your car and walking in and out of work is enough to keep the vitamin D up, I think. And that's all you need, just a little bit. Not enough to get a tan, none of that. If you're, it's like uh, Ashley said, if you get tan, you're doing damage, period, okay? So in the winter months we don't get enough sun around here so i it's the only supplement i take i believe in vitamin d and i take it and it works and i think you know don't kid yourself into thinking you're going to go get a bunch of sun and that's how you're going to do your vitamin D because I think that's a bad idea. Mm -hmm.
1: No, I would absolutely agree with Chris. And I think you know, vitamin D now has been linked to pretty much every major cancer, meaning if you have to have your vitamin D level up high enough or you're going to be at risk for colon cancer, breast cancer, you name it, every possible cancer out there, there's been an an associative link. Um, And so I think we know that vitamin D is important. And I think absolutely, like Chris is saying, the amount of sunlight that you need to be able to get your vitamin D levels up to normal is minuscule. For most people, you know, we're really talking about four to six minutes of of actual sun exposure, not enough to actually cause sun damage. Um, and so, I'm absolutely on board with Chris. I think there's a there's a healthy level. The other thing to remember is we can get a lot of vitamin D from eating whole food, plant based diets, meaning just gr- leafy green vegetables, and you know, making sure that we're we're really eating real food. So the vast majority of people really would not be vitamin D if you were eating kind of a healthy diet as well. Right,
0: if some kale, if exactly. you really did drink, eat the get kale diet kale, or drink there. the kale, yes. <laughs> some version of <laughs> kale in your system. Leafy it choke it green. down. Choke it down. <laughs> choke it down. <laughs> but then, okay, so then the other thing I want to ask is because I think there is a lot of confusion. I, I certainly think I'm confused. And it is, I see a number of people who are, getting things removed from their skin as what I call either precancerous all the way to cancer. And I hear basal cell, I hear Squamish cell, I hear carcinoma, I hear melanoma. And I know the melanoma is the most serious, but the, the rest of them kind of go in a I, I can't gauge when people toss those terms around very well of what we're dealing with and what's the Where's the scare factor and where's the real factor and can sure. you guys talk about that a little bit and maybe define it and break it down from a way that we can kind of think about it? We'll, we'll start yeah. with Ashley.
2: She does. She's yeah. a cancer surgeon, so yeah, oh, this absolutely. is your specialty. Oh, I
0: can talk tumors and cancer all day long. So,
1: um, so I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that skin cancer is the number one cancer in the United States, and we don't really think about that often. Um, but the fact is, if you take every cancer in the United States that we treat, breast, prostate, colon, thyroid, you name it, you add all of those up, there are actually four times as many skin cancers as all of those other cancers combined, right? So that's a lot of cancer. So there are so many that we don't even count them very well. So it's estimated we treat around five million skin cancers a year in the United States, okay? So- That's like
0: one per person. (laughs) <laughs> right,
1: exactly. And so in general, we know about one in four Americans or one in four, one in three Caucasians, um, over the age of 70 will get a skin cancer at some point in their lifetime. So probably everybody listening to this has either had a skin cancer or knows somebody close, closely related in their family that's had a skin cancer. So it is important to be educated about that. Um, In general, there are three major types of skin cancer. Now, we treat, uh, Chris and I, you know, hundreds of different rare forms, but there are three major common types. Uh, the first is basal cell carcinoma. And that's the most common. We treat around 4 million of those a year. Um, and those are found primarily in sun-exposed areas. So sun is the number one risk factor. And it's more common uh, in Caucasians. And it is it is one of those tumors that fortunately is very highly cured um, with several different treatments that can be performed by a board certified dermatologist in the office, um, either under, under local anesthesia or no anesthesia. If it's a superficial basal cell, we can even treat it with creams or um, right. you know basic, basic procedures. And so of basal cell carcinomas, while they have very, very rarely will go outside of the skin to other parts of the body, they can continue to grow and become very locally aggressive, ulcerating, bleeding. Um, and so we typically recommend treating those. The second major type of skin cancer, the next most common would be the squamous cell carcinoma. And we treat about a million of those a year in the United States. Now, different than basal cell carcinoma, around 3 to 5% of squamous cell carcinomas can go outside of the skin to other parts of the body. And this is actually an area of interest for me from a research standpoint, um, but also I think in general, our field is really moving right now and we're getting better at predicting which of these squamous cells are higher risk for going outside of the skin to other parts of the body. And so it's really important that you're seeing, you know, a board-certified dermatologist with, with training in oncology to be able to kind of break it down and give you an idea of how high your risk is. The third most common type of skin cancer, and what we think of as typically the deadliest form of skin cancer in terms of chances of it going outside of the skin to other parts of the body, is the melanoma. We treat around 90,000 melanomas in the United States. And uh, this is one that I think both Chris and I are probably watching really closely, particularly in our state, because we are seeing a rise in the diagnosis, the the diagnoses of melanoma in the state of Nebraska, particularly among young women under the age of 40. Um, And so melanoma does, essentially the longer it's on the skin, the longer the delay to diagnosis, the higher the chance that it goes deeper into the skin and can get into the blood vessels or lymph channels and take those melanoma cells outside of the skin to other parts of the body. And so that's, you know, melanoma is one that really, um, depending on the depth of the tumor, can be treated by a board certified dermatologist or can be treated by a surgical oncologist or a head and neck surgeon
0: uh, if and when we need to check the lymph nodes. And also, thank you so much to Children's Hospital and Medical
3: Center for supporting this podcast. This podcast is generously supported by Children's Hospital and Medical Center. Children's is the only full-service pediatric health center in Nebraska, providing expertise in more than 50 pediatric specialty services to children across the region and beyond. It is home to Nebraska's only Level 4 newborn intensive care unit and the only Level 2 pediatric trauma center. Nationally, Children's is recognized as a best children's hospital by U.S. News & World Report. To meet the growing demand for high-quality pediatric services, Children's is growing to better serve more children and families. Its new clinical facility, the Hubbard Center for Children, opens in 2021. Learn more at childrensomaha.org.
0: Most skin cancer, you just either cut, you
3: treat with creams.
0: When you're dealing with, like, melanoma can you still cut it out of this? Is it still a cutting out of the skin, getting it out of the skin area? Great question.
1: So I always say melanoma is primarily a surgical disease. Okay. The great news is in this country that 92% of the time uh, the tumor and the melanoma is actually localized to the skin alone. So really, you know, 90 to 90% of the time, we can actually cure it um, with surgery alone. Okay, that other kind of 8 to 10% of the time, um, those melanomas are at higher risk for going outside, or they have actually already metastasized and gone to the lymph nodes most commonly, or to the liver, the brain, other parts of the body. And so when that's the case, uh, patients really need to be seen in a multidisciplinary center where they can be seen by dermatology, surgical oncology, medical oncology for sometimes new chemos or um, immunotherapies, which we could, that's a whole other discussion, mm-hmm. um, and where we can be managed in a multidisciplinary fashion. And if
0: we're seeing young women, women who are in their prime of their life under 40, who are getting melanoma, and, we're, and we are seeing rates of skin cancer rise, I mean, and people are still, you know, not taking precautions and all of that, what in the world do we, what is it we're, that they're not understanding? Because they're going to face all of this.
2: What You know, there was an interesting uh, uh, study that was done at the Mayo Clinic where they looked at women, young women, under the age of 30 with melanoma. And in the study they did, 97% of those women were tanners. And it's interesting that the number one location for melanoma for adult women, oddly, is on the lower extremity, the calf area. And everybody wants to know why. Everybody always asks that, and I think it's odd myself. But I can't help that laying on a tanning bed... Your calves are up against that light. You're getting blasted. And these young women that tan, it, it's a cultural thing that has to be changed. And I think it is. I really do. I think, it's, mm-hmm. I think little by little, the tanning thing is uh, it's no different than smoking cigarettes. I mean, it's, it, it, it causes cancer. And so I think the, the attitude is changing. But the one other thing I'd say about all this, skin cancer remains epidemic in the United States. But, but the treatment options are phenomenal. Uh, absolutely just go get some help uh, your survivability is so oh, good my, the sur- survivability is incredible even the dangerous melanoma that everybody's mm-hmm. so afraid of as ashley said the, the numbers are good you get in the, you know if you, unless you ignore it mm-hmm. then your your numbers drop so go you, you you have something growing on the skin go get it checked
1: absolutely yeah i think that's if there's anything that people listening take home from today if there is something new growing changing, bleeding, not healing on your skin, absolutely go see your primary care physician or your board-certified dermatologist because the key to all of this is finding it early and the vast majority of these cancers are highly curable um, if they're found in the early stages.
0: Because there is such a tie between your skin and how you look, we got to talk about this. What is considered by you guys good skin care?
2: you know i'm a, I, I'm a <laughs> I take a simple approach, and I think that you know women in particular are, are more prone to do more things. men get up and you know shower and walk out the door uh, i I think that um depending on your skin type, uh, as we get older, we make less oil mild cleansers uh, are really big i think limit the amount of soap you use in the shower moisturizers are are great particularly in the winter in this climate uh I, and once again i want to emphasize as you get older you make less oil and it becomes more of an issue when i was younger i never used a moisturizer on my face but but i do now and then you can combine that with a little sunblock too uh which is a nice thing so and then as far as makeup um i'm gonna defer this <laughs> to ashley but but i'm also a real advocate for simplicity i think that i explained that you know some women are doing products and one products pulling this way and the other products pulling this way and it doesn't make any sense and let's take the steps down from you know 7 or whatever down to a few but i'm going to defer the the cosmetic thing to ashley well
0: yeah. ashley came from University of Southern California at one point, so she knows what the obsession with skin and appearance and all oh, of that yes. looks like. Oh, yes. And and I really do think, I mean, you ask most people, especially women, and they pull out a drawer full of potions, lotions, toners. Some things are in the hundreds of dollars. And, you know, there's that consumer victim in me that's like, I, I, isn't all the same?
1: <laughs> Great question. And I do love talking about this because here's the reality. Everyone wants to look their best self, right? Yeah. We all we all want to look our best, and I think there are a lot of myths out there when it comes to the lotions and potions. And I would I would argue that most board certified dermatologists, I agree with Chris, we really like to simplify things. Um, I hate to burst the bubble today, <laughs> but. To be frank, if you're spending more than $10 or $20 on your moisturizer, you're wasting your money.
2: Completely agree. (laughs) Um,
1: And when I talk about if you want to look your best self, here's kind of the regimen that I like to to, uh, prescribe, if you will. Number one, as Chris said, first and foremost, the best thing for anti-aging and for looking your best is sun protection, okay? Across the board, period, no matter what your skin type, no matter what your background, Um, preventing ultraviolet damage to your skin is going to absolutely be the number one way that you can look your best self for the longest amount of time. Number two, I absolutely agree with Chris. Um, as we get older, our skin makes and holds on to less oil, which really can um, age the face pretty significantly. And so I think getting a hold of a, a good moisturizer, which could be something like even a Cetaphil or a gener- generic brand with no fragrance, and there's really no reason for all those additives. The vast majority of board-certified derms I know, know use an 8 to $10 moisturizer product. We really don't go out there and spend the $200, $300 on all these fancy lotions and potions for moisturizer moisturization. The third thing I say to my patients, and this is the only other thing other than SPF or sunscreen that's been shown to prevent wrinkles, to help with um, sun damage in terms of brown spots, uh, to help with fine lines, is going to be a topical vitamin A derivative. Um, Over-the-counter that would be in the form of retinol. Um, from your board-certified dermatologist, that would be the f- in the um, brand name Retin A or the the um, generic name Tretinoin. Um, and the new, real hot off the press topic is that around six months ago, one of these prescription-strength vitamin A topicals actually just became over-the-counter. You can now get a Dappling. Uh, which is a retinoid product um, that was prescription strength. You can now get it at Target or CVS or Walgreens for $10. Um, and all you need is a pea-sized amount of that for your entire face. And that is that is the major anti-aging product that we see and we recommend as dermatologists. So you can get it now for 10 bucks over the counter. Um, the fourth thing I say for people who really are trying Mm -hmm. to push it and want to do something else is just kind of talking about the whole concept of antioxidants. And so that is in the form of really eating well, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that people who eat well, who eat, you know, leafy green vegetables, fruits, you know, um, a whole real food that can absolutely improve your overall skin tone. And there is some data for some of the topical antioxidants like topical vitamin C, topical vitamin E, and there are some different, there are some lotions and potions with those ingredients Ingredients That can be slightly more expensive, like $30 ish, but that, but that's really it, you know? So it's sunscreen, it's moisturizer, it's a topical vitamin A like a dappling over the counter or retinol products. And then if you really want to get fancy, get some <laughs> antioxidants in there, but I don't think your skin cancer budget should cost or sorry, skin cancer, your skin care budget should cost more than $30 a month. Max
2: Chris completely agree. Well put. How about water? You know, I think water's good. Hydration's important. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, I think that you got to be careful. I, I think you can maybe overdo it a little bit. I mean, your brain usually tells you when you need it. Um, I, I, think, I think water's important. Hydration's important, particularly during the day if you're drinking a lot of coffee and things like that. And, um, and so I think that matters. You know, for you to be low enough on water for it to affect the appearance of your skin, you'd have to be pretty low. So I think use common sense, but if you can drink too much water too. So much of this is not only what we do
0: proactively in terms of how we go outside and deal with the sun, but there's a good chunk of this, is it not, that is completely hereditary for how you wrinkle, where it wrinkles, where your skin goes, your elasticity. I mean, there's some things you can't fight in the mother nature rule, uh, Am I right about that?
2: (laughs) I I think you're completely right. And every field of medicine deals with genetic predisposition. And we end up talking to our patients and say, look, we're not going to be able to beat that component. But we can work around it. And we do do it in dermatology. Other specialties do it as well. Genetics are there. Realize it. Let patients know what that means and say, all right, how how are we going to work around that? And you can lower your risk factors for all kinds of stuff, and the genetic thing doesn't have to come to fruition.
0: I think, Ashley, the thing that I think about when people talk about how much they spend on skin care or the obsession that they have with how their skin looks on the outward appearance, there seems to me there's got to be some correlation to psychological issues because there's such a self-esteem factor in some of this.
1: No, you are absolutely right. And I think Chris is over here nodding because we always say around 40 to 50% of dermatologic conditions have a psychiatric component. And that's multifactorial, the reasons why. But here's the reality. You know, you started out this show by saying the skin is the largest organ. And it is. It is the organ that is on the outside for everyone to see. So different than diabetes, different than blood pressure, different than a lot of other common medical conditions, when you have a problem with this, your skin, you're literally wearing it around for the world to see. And so the vast majority of patients that Chris and I see in our clinics are they're distressed. You know, they're they are very upset because unlike diabetes or blood pressure, everyone they come into contact is asking them, "What's wrong with your skin? What's wrong with you? Are you sick?" You know, so patients come in with a very large psych overlap because because they truly are distressed. Um, there are some conditions that have a true association with, with psychiatric disorders. And there are, you know, those are few and far between. But we know that there is a huge psychological and psychiatric component to the vast majority of dermatologic disease.
0: So I have to ask this of the two of you, because one of my best friends is a dermatologist. And I swear that every time I see her, and she and I don't live in the same state, She's doing a quick scan of my face. She's doing a quick <laughs> scan of my skin, and I always think: if you are a dermatologist, when you meet people, are you automatically looking at them? I you mean, can what? you just not
2: help it? I got to be honest: when I'm not working, I'm not working. <laughs> I let it all go.
0: Oh,
1: that's you know, great! Unless, that's great. Unless
2: it's a public safety thing, I, I rarely in my life. I you'll see somebody that you just tap them on the shoulder and like you really need to get that. You need to go see somebody about that, you know I, I very, very rarely do that, but boy, I let the little stuff go. I don't even notice it I, I, honestly I, I, I mean that honestly.
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. I think most dermatologists, when your brain is off, your brain is off, but I will tell I will be honest, there are times when I'm caught in the very you know engaging conversation, and it's what my husband calls, oh no, she had her she got her derm eyes on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of a sudden I zoom in on something and I'm not usually thinking about it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but sometimes you just mm-hmm. can't help it when your brain is always trained for it. But no, in all seriousness, like Chris said, we typically, when we're off, off duty, we're off duty. But, um, but
2: what Ashley's talking about, the things she's zooming in on are things that are health issues.
1: Right. As
2: opposed to people that are concerned because maybe they've got a little discoloration or blemish or that's the stuff we just...
0: Oh yeah. We don't even see that.
1: Don't <laughs>
2: yeah. even see it. No. Doesn't even no. interest you. <laughs> right.
0: Well, you guys, thank you so much. I feel like this was so enlightening. I I really do think I'm a skin skincare victim. I really am going to have to go get some help about that. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. Um, But thank you guys both for just really delving it in, making it real, and hopefully giving a lot of people information that they need and awareness. I mean, really, we've got to get people to think about this in a different way and incorporate it in their lives in a ways that they can do it without feeling cumbersome. You know, I think that's the problem for people. It's got to be easy. So
3: thank you both. Thank you guys for joining us.
0: We'll see you next time.
3: A Parkville Media Production. The information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the presenters and do not represent the thoughts, advice, or opinions of the Metro Omaha Medical Society. The information contained in this podcast should not serve as the basis for any medical treatment and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical advice. Before making changes to your health care plan or a loved one's, always consult with a health care professional.